Going old school today with a handheld mic, and it puts me in touch with my roots. My pastor used to have a long cord he could run all over the place and whip that thing. <laughs> he controlled the air conditioner. It was so cold you could hardly stand it. And the PA system would blow your head off. If, if you didn't feel God, you felt something. <laughs> Here is Johnny Cash reading our four-verse text today. Chapter 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Let me give you a little demo before we dive in the text of what I'm talking about with my roots. You can play Mama Peg and paper dolls if you want to, but I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> Heaven's too good, eternity's too long, and hell is too hot for you to lose your eternal soul. Can I get a witness up in here? All right, enough of that. It was fun, though. So in our context... Paul is dealing with a group that some theologians call super apostles who were troubling this church. He would start a church and stay there for a season and then leave and then come back later and appoint elders and leave a fully functioning local church in place and then keep in touch with messengers and letters back and forth. And this is one such letter. And there were some guys coming in there bragging that Paul was no good and they were good. And they were bringing these people into religious bondage of different sorts. It's amazing how sometimes the enemy tempts us to think uh, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Some people do that with their own families. The church across town is better. Did you hear the story about the guy that uh, was rescued from an island and the island had three buildings on it? And so he was interviewed and asked, okay, sir, you're, how long have you been here? Oh, I was here X amount of years. And what are these three buildings? Well, the first one is where I live. That's my house. And the second one is my church. That's where I go to church. And they said, well, what's the third one? He said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> so he doesn't like to brag, but he's about to let loose on them to prove that he is a man of God and that he, when he started this church, he didn't charge them a dime. He didn't receive any money from them. Churches, other churches he had started in Macedonia sent him support. So we're not going to get into the complexities and uh, heroic-isms of Paul, but he opens with these words because he's going to get into the great things God has done in him and how much he suffered and yet the Lord is enabling him to overcome all glory be to the master. Amen. He says in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 11, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me. 
For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. There's jealousy that's ungodly, but there's jealousy that is godly. The godly jealousy is you're jealous for the benefit of someone else and not yourself. I think all spouses need to come to the place where if they're tempted to be jealous, that you're jealous for the benefit of your spouse. If they had that way, it would not be good for them because your confidence is so strong in the Lord that you know you wouldn't enjoy it if they should leave you, but you would make it. Who knows? We would make it. We would. And so we don't have to live in fear of losing each other or challenging one another, but we certainly shouldn't falsely accuse each other. And that's where jealousy for personal benefit, it's all about me being jealous of Yvette, that uh, there was a time in our life he used to drive her bananas. We had to go see our pastor, and he gave us some help. He says, I am jealous for you, for you, with godly jealousy. God is a jealous God. In fact, his name is jealous. He's jealous for our benefit. He wants us to do good. He wants us to overcome. Then he shifts gears and relates to them like a father or a parent. He said, for I betrothed you, this church in Corinth of Greece, to one husband, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, betrothing someone to someone else is foreign to our culture. Our kids are on their own. I don't really think our culture should, should be like this, but this is the way it is. They're on their own and choosing here they're going to marry. And to suggest that we do things the Eastern way, you're going to stir up a rat's nest. So here these people are with inexperience uh, making choices that might not be the right choice. So in primitive cultures of the world, even today, and in the Eastern world in the Bible days, the parents got together and betrothed their children to one another, made a choice. This family's stable. We're going to do it. What the procedure was, I'm not sure. But in this case, Paul had betrothed this church to the Lord Jesus Christ, like a father would betroth his daughter. And I did have the experience in our daughter getting married. Uh, she was engaged to someone and was going to have to break it up, break it off, because it was obvious it was not going to work. There were too many red flags. And so based on what the Torah says, I spoke words of severance to set her free from the promises she had made that would have been a mistake. And then when she, when she did get married, she did find the guy. I talked her out of breaking up with him. <laughs> so uh, it's awesome. We were blessed. She didn't get married until she was almost 34. So we're blessed. We were actually spoiled to have her that long. All right. So he betrothed this church to Jesus. The wedding hasn't happened yet. And he wants them to be a chaste, faithful virgin for Christ. And these false leaders are coming in, attempting to lead them astray. Verse 3, but I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve, we'll look at that story, by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached... Or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. 
There's enough warnings in the scriptures from the lips of Jesus to the pens of the apostles, warnings of deception to let us know we could be deceived. And you know the big problem of being deceived is you're deceived. And if you slip over the edge, it's like pulling teeth that get a person set free from a cult if they're drawn into one. And so Paul is concerned about this. There's one Jesus Christ. There's one gospel. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one body of Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And some guy coming along saying, well, you know, your life isn't perfect. This is the better way. Jesus flew over to the Americas and preached the gospel to the Jews that had sailed over here on, on ships. Let me just say something about the chosen. I just have to call names. I know the chosen is well done. It's wonderful. It's possible backstories to the life of Jesus. And there's some concern in the evangelical world for Mormons' involvement in it. And it's concern that is very real. Why? Mormons are all about backstories to Jesus because they have one called the Book of Mormon where every other verse says it came to pass and it came to pass and it came to pass. And it's a bunch of stories about Jesus coming to America after he left the Mount of Olives. Don't say I'm dissing the chosen. I'm just speaking the truth. It just is. They like the chosen because it fits into the genre of what they're all about. This extra testament. Another testament is what the Book of Mormon is called. Years ago, they say it was written 1,600 years ago, but Joseph Smith is the one that wrote it in the 1800s in 16th century English. So, um, yeah, 1,600 years ago, they didn't speak 16th century English. And in the 19th century, the 1800s, they didn't speak 16th century English. So do the math. It doesn't add up. Plus, his original manuscripts were golden plates that an angel named Moroni, and I did, not, I did not misspell it. I just emphasize a certain syllable. <laughs> golden plates with magic glasses that he put on, and the words turned into 16th century English. And the story was born. So they love the chosen because... It's extra biblical where they could fit in their story, and they're already promoting footage and films and clips of this trip Jesus made to America using some of the same studios. So just be aware of that and enjoy The Chosen. If you're in the middle of it, I don't want to leave you hanging on cliffhangers. Today, we're going to speak about Christ's simplicity. Can we say simplicity? We're going to honor the simplicity that is in Christ or of Christ, there's a simplicity in Christ that I believe relates to his accessibility. He did all the hard work to give us access, to give us access. One of my favorite preachers here in town was Dr. John Duncan. He's not here anymore, but he was the pastor at Lakeside Baptist Church for 20-something years, and he got a degree from Oxford in England. And he loved to open his sermons with a story that he completed at the end of the sermon. He was a master of that. And one of his opening stories that he completed was he talked about going to meet some grand poobah of the English education system in the world of theology. 
and the different doors he went to, the different hoops he jumped through, the different people he met and spoke to, to get to this person to gain access. But Jesus cut through all the red tape, folks. He's as close as the mention of his name. We used to sing a song, you're as close as the mention of your name, Jesus, Jesus. Honoring the simplicity of Christ. First point, like Paul, as we grow up in Christ, we all share responsibility in caring for one another spiritually. The second verse that we read, he said, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You may not be an apostle, but you can be apostolic in helping care for one another spiritually. And that was not happening in the church in Corinth. The crowd was swallowing the things that were being told, hook, line, and sinker, that there was something about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel they had missed out on. These guys were bringing them the new truth, the, the hidden gems that you needed to know that it was Gnosticism creeping into the church is what I believe, or these Judaizing. You know, you got to keep all 613 plus laws of Moses if you really want to be saved. So Paul was jealous for them. And so in our day, we have to speak the truth to one another in love because Paul is long gone, <laughs> right? So if you see me posting something on social media or hear me preaching something from the pulpit or in a conversation that doesn't sound right, approach me. That's your job as a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? We have to watch out for each other. This is what makes a church strong and healthy. We don't label each other, condemn each other. We speak the truth in love. And if things go south, then get a brother who loves both of you together, and let's get on the same page, if not learning to agree to disagree. But this is important because we are living in perilous times. Next point. Like this Corinthian congregation, we all need to be aware of the real possibility of being deceived. So inside the notes are over 60 scripture references about our ministry to one another. I challenge you to look up every scripture and read the context. Make it your personal Bible study project. And then when you're done reading one of those verses before you go to the next one, say, Lord, where, where have I been doing this? Where should I be doing this? And where has this been done to me or not been done to me? And I've experienced a shortfall in the church in generations or the body of Christ at large that maybe I could help fill in the gap because I experienced it. So that, that page, if, every, if everyone in this room would do what I just said, it would make us strong, strong. So back to the second point. Like this Corinthian congregation, we need to beware, be aware and beware of the real possibility of being deceived. Verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
it's so simple sometimes we miss it. Jesus said in Matthew 24, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. The word Christ is a Greek word, Christos, which means the anointed one. Here's someone who's really anointed, or there is someone who's really anointed. Don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Did Jesus tell the truth when he came? So we have this warning. So when you turn on your Christian TV channel and you see one of these guys hawking blessings for, especially during telethon time, make a thousand dollar vow right now while the angels are getting their assignments. This is what I've heard. I'm not exaggerating. For the next year, you need to get in on this good deal by sowing your seed or get a new anointing times 10 for $2,500. I saw that one Sunday morning while I was channel surfing and saw the same dude on another channel, obviously a program filmed differently, where he was hawking blessings for $1,000. So which guy is preaching the truth? The new you, the old you, whatever. A new anointing times 10 for $2,500. i tell you what your anointing is in an empty pocketbook. <laughs> You've been anointed with the opportunity to know what it's like. Kenneth Hagin's last book, The Midas Touch. If you believe in the seed faith doctrine, God blesses generosity. He blesses giving. He does. He blesses us to be a blessing. But if you have swallowed the seed faith doctrine, be careful. Kenneth Hagin's last book, in fact, it's the only book that he actually wrote. The others were transcribed sermons that he edited. But he wrote this one by hand and called for a meeting for all the big shots in the seed faith movement to spank them royally. And they all but one said he was right. The one that didn't say he was right stayed at home and said, God told me not to go. He proves it mathematically that if the seed faith doctrine is true, then why don't those guys so a thousand dollars and get a hundred thousand return why don't they practice what they preach hello so he proved it disproved this seed faith doctrine biblically in this little book and mathematically and practically and don't be impressed by guys getting jet planes because they're giving them to each other i'm telling you the truth folks don't be corrupted from the simplicity that is in christ You see a valid ministry, it's not because he has a jet plane, but because he's caring about lost souls, and he's approachable and not surrounded by security teams, you know, by a dozen folks. Unless there's death threats, I don't don't see any need for that stuff. So don't be duped. Ooh, I didn't know I was going to say that. (laughs) Even one guy had screeners that only certain people got in the prayer line. They're really hard cases. They never made it to the prayer line. All right. Honoring the simplicity of Christ. We need to not forget how our enemy operates. Now, I don't want to linger long on this, but we have to mention it because it's in the text. I fear that as a serpent deceived Eve, that you would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The serpent by his craftiness. So we'll look at the story from Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Has God indeed said? Did God really say? And he asked this question based on a false premise. Look at the lie. Quote, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. God never said that. But he's inferring something false to get an opening into Eve's thinking. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if you read Genesis 2, the command was not to eat it. Nothing was said about not touching it. So that was a fence law her and Adam obviously took up with. And sometimes fence laws are good. You know, you don't want to eat something, it's best not to touch it, right? But God didn't say that. And so this opened the door to deception because when she touched it and nothing happened, God must have been lying because she equated her personal conviction with the word of God. It's important that we not equate our fence laws or our personal convictions with the written scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. That makes sense? So God has said you should not eat it. So instead of saying that's a lie, get out of here, she attempted to explain things to this evil one, Satan, who appeared to them in the form of a serpent. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now that's an outright lie. And then here's an inference. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the tree was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God did not want them to partake of it. That's what it was called that. Why? Because he was the source of knowledge of good and evil for them. So this was a gateway for them to no longer need him. This is what sin does. It separates us from God. And so they were cut off from their life source by eating this tree. Also in this is a lie. God doesn't want you to eat it because you'll be like God. They already were like God. So inferring they were less than, this is why it's so important to have our security, our security and our identity secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, hunger, appetite, the flesh, and was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and a tree desirable to make one wise, pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, he was the older of the two, and he was the one assigned to guard the garden. Keep the garden, guard the garden. Do the research on the Hebrew words there. He, it was his responsibility to keep that garden free. And he didn't do his job, and he didn't stop his wife. He was there with her. She was deceived, and he just wanted her to be happy, I guess. <laughs> didn't speak up. Men, women, husbands, wives, sometimes we have to speak up to our spouses. Amen. Well, I don't want to be in the bad place. Well, you can speak up and be kind, and if unheeded, you back off and say, Lord, deal with your son or Lord, deal with your daughter. You're speaking the truth. And then when, it, when you're proven right, you know, try not to say, I told you so. 
Don't gloat when your enemy suffers, but when your friend suffers. So Yvette and I have learned to say, you were right and I was wrong. We have to speak up to keep each other accountable. Singles, you have an opportunity to really draw close to God without anyone leading you astray. <laughs> so let's just talk about this craftiness. Satan's subtle or not so subtle tricks that are in this story. He tells complete lies, just outright lies. He did that in this story. You will not surely die was a complete lie. And the question he asked inferred a complete lie. Uh, Mark Twain said there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> and we see a lot of the social manipulation going on in the world. Who knows? The culture's being manipulated, and they're using statistics to do it. So complete lies, half-truths, or half-lies, and those are often the most deceiving. And misleading inferences inferring that God said something he didn't. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of the trees of the garden? Look at the story. The serpent was more concerning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So there's a misleading inference. And then when the woman quoted things correctly and added you shall not touch it, Here's the outright lie. You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. That's half true. Their eyes will be open in a way that's not good. They would lose the covering of God's glory covering them, and their eyes would be open to their own nakedness, their own weaknesses. And you'll be like God. Now, that's an, an evil outright false, but it's inference. They were already like God. So tempting them to think they were less than God had made them to be, knowing good and evil. The advertising world operates like this. If you're in the, into making commercials, that's fine. But if you're set out to induce unhappiness in people's minds with their lives, you know, don't you know your life sucks? Why don't you buy my clothes? You'll be happy. Don't you know your jewelry substandard? Why don't you buy the latest from Paris? Don't, you know, you deserve a break today. Be careful with the you deserve deal. That is part of a, uh, we deserve hell, but Christ came. Right? Amen. God, they already knew good and evil because God was their source. He was their Google. He was their friend. He was their father, their creator. So the enemy did this stuff. Complete lies, half-truths, misleading inferences, and false dichotomies. You got to watch out for this. This is being played on the culture right now. False dichotomies are logical fallacies in which choices are represented as either or options. Don't you want to be like God? Or you want to be a loser? Don't you want to have open eyes or you want to continue to be blind? You're missing out. You're so naive. Don't you want to? See, you get this either or thing to manipulate you. And many times there's, there's more than two options anyway. Here's one being played on the culture. 
Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? All right. Don't look around, but if you don't understand that, just raise your hand and I'll explain it real quick. Okay. Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? There are girls by the tens of thousands be lured into thinking that they actually are boys. And so the sex change doctors and counselors are using this false dichotomy. If your girl doesn't get to be changed into a boy, if she doesn't have her body mutilated by a surgeon's knife and by chemicals, she's going to kill herself. So let her become a son. That way she'll be alive. Now do the statistics. If I'm wrong, let me know, and I will edit this sermon. The statistics are the suicide rate is higher for those that are in this process of changing their gender than it is for those who want to do it. So check it out. So we're being manipulated, and the press is behind it, Hollywood is behind it, the government is behind it, and beware, this is how the enemy operates. Complete lies, half-truths, misleading inferences, and false dichotomies. And kids that go through with this are addicted to approval through social media. They count how many likes they get on their posts, and this is a way to get lots of likes, lots of affirmation. And what is the problem? It's identity it's the identity issue. May the Lord use us to affirm our kids, to encourage our loved ones, to encourage one another, to make sure we are drawing strength from who we are in Christ and not who some nitwit says when he clicks the thumbs up. Sorry. All right. Here's the bottom line. You, you know, don't, don't think, oh, I can't remember all this. If the enemy tries to tempt me, I'm, I'm going to be a goner. No, the bottom line is he's trying to trick us into doubting God. That's how he did it, but his goal was if I can get them to doubt God. So it was unbelief that opened the door to original sin. And it's unbelief that opened the door to the crucifixion of God's son. And it's unbelief that is opening the door to young girls and young boys ruining their bodies. Anyway, we will move right along. Back to the simplicity of Christ. Let's ask the Lord to help us not be gullible. Can we do it? Lord, help us not be gullible. Give us eyes to see what is being done. We don't want to follow conspiracy theories, and we don't want to follow... False dichotomies, lies and half lies and statistics. We want to follow you and your will for mankind. Everybody said, amen. He wrote in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 11, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it in the name of love. Oh, let's just love everybody. Yeah, if he wants to be led astray, it's okay. I'm just going to love him. Well, what if your kid wanted to play out on 377, playing catch down the middle line? To put a stop to it, would that not be loving? Right? Love is not licensing evil and wrong and, and misperceptions and deceptions. 
is standing for the truth and helping our kids and one another not be led astray by what's going on. Amen? Help us, Lord, to not put up with stuff. Paul told the church in the region of Galatia, multiple churches there. He said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon, chapter 1, verse 6, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another gospel. It's not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. It's as though some believe by inferring Jesus isn't enough. You need a new anointing. You need this. Don't you know your life isn't perfect? Don't you know you're not happy? You need to listen to me. You need to chase this wind of doctrine. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what you have received, let him be accursed. What is the gospel? It's something so simple even children can understand if you explain it to them. God is Father, Word, and Holy Spirit. And in the plan of God, the Word of God became a human, became a baby in Bethlehem. We celebrate his birth every year at Christmas time. Oh, you say that, a kid's got it. He lived a perfect life, and he died an unjust death. God used it for his glory because man has a problem. It's called sin. It separates him from God and separates him from one another. You know that bad stuff on TV we don't like to watch that's going on in the world? That's called sin. And Jesus came and made a way by paying for those sins. Those evil people need to be punished, don't they? Oh, yes, they do. Well, he was punished for us, the things we have done wrong, so that we can be forgiven. So in the eyes of God, by putting faith in what Jesus did for us, just like I bought the neighbor boy a new toy that you broke, I made provision for you to still have a friendship with a guy who would be upset at you. And so the Lord has made a provision for us to have friendship with him through the death of Jesus. And the good news is he rose from the dead to make sure that we get the benefits of what he did for us. That is a gospel. But if somebody comes along with some other stuff, Jesus plus this and Jesus plus that, and if you really want to be saved, you have to keep this law and that law. The truth is we follow Christ and Christ alone, and we read what he says, and we pray for God to enable us to take seriously what he has said to live a life of obedience to him. In his second letter to Timothy, this is Paul's last letter. Who knows, last words are important. This is the last thing we have that he ever wrote. Chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, you know, the concept of self-control in our culture is out the window. Just can't help it. I ate Twinkies when I shouldn't have. And, you know. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. 
and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep, they're creeps, into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Who's heard of catfishing? People are misled into online romances, and that's not who you think he is or she is. That's a club of gangsters in Nigeria creeping into your house through the Internet. We're being warned by this stuff. And they appeal to our lust. So here's the condition of our world today. Verse 7, always learning. Knowledge is increasing, right? But not wisdom. And never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So beware. If you're having an online romance and enjoying it, the first time they ask for one dime. It may even be an investment. Cut it off, cut it off, cut it off. If you go to your bank, you see warnings about this on the wall and in the middle of the room because it's duping people that should know better. A lot of them are senior citizens into giving everything to criminals under a false fantasy. So I don't know how I got into that. Anyway, let's ask the Lord to help us not be gullible. (laughs) If we stayed with the simplicity of Christ, if you're lonely... Become part of a local expression of the body of Christ, and the loneliness will go away. Finally, here's where I really want to rest on. We must highly value the simplicity in Christ, the simplicity of Christ. I fear, lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Look at this. This is Jesus praying and teaching in his prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Simple. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then he shifts to us. Come to me, all you who labor. He's prophesying in his prayer. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. What is this? This is an invitation into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and Jesus. Not you and angels. In our previous location, Country Love Theater, it was a public building. We had no control over who they rented to. But they rented it to a group that was going to have a seminar on how to find angels. How to find your angels. We didn't protest, but we prayed. And guess what? Nobody showed up. That would mislead people. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than what you've heard preached, let him be a curse is what Paul said. We're talking about honoring Christ's simplicity. And in closing, as the praise team comes forward, Jesus in a letter to a church that was lukewarm, 
Rebuke them for their lukewarmness, for their pride, for their blindness, for their errors. And then he gave them this promise to this church in Laodicea of Revelation 3.20. Behold. In other words, look. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The Lord is close and we have the promise he is near to the brokenhearted. Maybe you've been crushed beyond belief. The Lord is near to you. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. It's a promise and it's the truth. Do not allow any other counselor to steer you somewhere else. This is a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ for a close relationship with him. He will fellowship with us. He will encourage us. If you journal, start writing your prayers out. If you don't journal, start writing your prayers out. Lord, I want to draw near to you today. Help me with this situation. And that prayer will turn into a list of things or a verse or a promise or something you had forgotten that the Lord is speaking to you right then. Amen. in the midst of what we're singing here. That's actually a picture from the throne room of heaven in Revelation chapter 4. So here's what the Lord has given me. John is standing in the throne room and this is what he says. I'll read from Revelation 5. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or the, on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And John says, and this will disabuse any of you that think that there's no tears in heaven. John says, 
So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. He wept much. He's standing in heaven. And the elder says to him, do not weep. Do not weep. Behold, and he, I, I just see this in my mind. He points to Jesus and he says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed, has prevailed. Hallelujah. And the entire word of the Lord ends with an invitation for those of you who are weeping, who haven't seen the lion of the tribe of Judah. The entire word ends with this. And this is Jesus speaking to us. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And it says this, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The entire word of the Lord ends almost with an invitation. And I just feel like there's somebody here this morning, or several somebody's actually, this is what the Spirit has revealed to me. And I want to continue to sing this song, but I want to have some of our ministers come up forward because I believe that there are some in this room this morning that have been weeping, weeping because they haven't turned and set their gaze on the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed. So if that's you, if you've been weeping, if you're in a season where you've taken your eyes maybe off the Lord a little bit or maybe ne have never even had your eyes on the one who has prevailed, hallelujah, the one who is coming with his reward, his reward for you and for me, I want you to just come forward and we'll pray with you. We'll pray with you. We'll ask the Lord to have you cast your gaze back on that one, the one who is worthy. Amen. Let's take, let's take a few more minutes. Let's take a few more minutes of ministering to the Lord and one another. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you want to help pray with people, uh, come on up. Three or four, five or six more would be great.
because there may be others needing prayer. Just come right on up and help us pray. Play it on that sax, bro. That is awesome. could use some prayer about something just raise your hand and we'll send people to you just raise your hand there's one there members of the body of christ go to this raised hand keep your hand raised till someone comes to you anybody else thank you so much for worshiping with us today the lord bless you and keep you the lord causes face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace May you walk in the joy of knowing Jesus in his supremacy and his simplicity. God bless you. Go get them, tigers. Don't leave unless you have to.